Thank you for accessing this audio resource from Glad Tidings Church. This is Pastor Tim Rice. I hope you enjoy the message and receive some benefit from it. If you do, please let us know. Send your comments to info at gladtidings.church. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning. I have the privilege of introducing our speaker today. Before I do, I'd like to say thank you to each and every person who helped us with our first women's conference yesterday here at Glad Tidings. There were not just women, but also men who stepped in to help us. So if you had a part in yesterday's activities, would you please stand? Those who prayed and fasted, those who helped prepare to help set up, decorate, greet, take out the trash, um, play an instrument, sing. If you had some role, Janie, stand up. Everybody who prayed and fasted, thank you for what you did. Give yourselves a hand. Our Voyage Conference was a great success. God met with us during our times together yesterday, and we know that's an answer to our prayers. And I have to say that it's truly the Lord's work, what he did uh, in this weekend, yesterday, and even today, having Kay speak with us. God opened the door in front of us and brought Kay to us. We feel very blessed to have the National Women's Ministries Director for the Assemblies of God here with us in Little Dunn, North Carolina. It's Kay's first time to North Carolina. So we do feel blessed and highly favored to have you here today. Kay is a um, handmaiden of the Lord, but it's also obvious she's a mighty woman of God and a warrior and um, a writer, speaker, servant of the Lord. Thank you for being with us today. Please come, Kay. Let's give her a great welcome. Thank you, Lena. Thank you, uh, Pastor Tim and, and Irene, for just the warm welcome. Uh, sweet Eloise for driving me around and, and being such a good hostess and friend. It's just you have embraced me. Um, and just made me feel welcome, like I could move here and feel like I already have family. So <laughs> thank you for doing that so, so well. It is a joy to be with you. And uh, greetings from Springfield, Missouri. Um, <clears throat> not my hometown, but where we live now. I'm from Arizona. Born, raised, lived there, and nowhere else my entire life until almost three years ago. And so I haven't seen this part of the country. And I'm wishing that I had extra days, because it is beautiful here. But uh, praise God, so good to be with you. And we just did have a really wonderful, sweet time yesterday. Um, at least I did. I felt the Lord's presence, and God's so good. So we want to welcome him, and you've done that, and you've worshiped, and you've lifted your hearts in praise, and you've received prayer for needs, and and recognize that he's here, and we gather in his name, and it doesn't matter where we are, whether we know each other, it's good to be in the house of the Lord together. You're my family, and I'm a part of yours, and one day we will be in a sea of uncountable numbers of people in the very presence of God Almighty in heaven, and I can't wait for that day as well, but this is a little taste of heaven. So thank you again, Pastor Tim, for allowing me to share from the pulpit on Sunday morning. As a pastor's wife, I know that that's, a, that's really a great honor. I know that um, 
that's not something that most do lightly, so I appreciate it. Well, I do want to just take us to a portion of Scripture today that maybe isn't preached out of often, but it's been a passage that God has just just really pushed deep into my heart and um, over and over again just mind the riches of it. And I'd just like to share something that he, he gave me, and, and I believe it's for all of us today. So we're going to start. We're going to read Genesis 16. There's nothing like the Word of God reading it together. So if you have your Bibles or your phones and you're ready to read that, we're going to read through Genesis 16. It's a short chapter, and it's all about this particular group of people, but especially this one character. And some of you may already know who that is. So let's turn there now, and I'm going to read this on my iPad. Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai took Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. But the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come? Where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. And then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And that is why the well was called Ber Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. And so Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Would you pray with me briefly? that we can just receive that word deep in our hearts. Lord, we come to you and ask through your Holy Spirit that you would take the word of God today and you would speak it. Speak into each heart here, Lord. May no one leave this place without receiving something, truth for their life, encouragement for their soul, Lord. Whatever it is that you have for every person here, open our hearts, Lord, that we would leave here different than when we came in Jesus' name. Amen. What a powerful story. It's It's mind-boggling to even consider this scenario today. And I don't know about you, but my heart breaks a little for Hagar, maybe a lot. She's talked about as if she's a belonging rather than a person. And um, it's a complicated mess that was created. And 
not an uncommon one in, the, in that day. But just what she said is what we're going to look at today, what she named the Lord. I want to talk to us today and encourage us on trusting in the Lord who sees us, trusting in the God who sees you, who sees me. One of the things that we noticed from this story is that God sees us in our desert. God sees us in our desert. Verse 7 of this passage said, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that was beside the road to shore. Hagar ran headlong into a desert, a desert and wilderness experience. And that desert can be a dangerous desert that she was in. She was running toward Egypt, what was familiar to her. But the Lord pursued her. The Lord pursued her. We don't have any account that she was crying out to God in any way, but the Lord cared about her. And as she ran and headed pregnant into this desert that could be dangerous, the Lord pursued her. He ran her down. God pursues us for our good and for his glory. Aren't you thankful? God pursues us for our good and for his glory. And we can encounter him in the worst of our deserts. He finds us right in the middle of our suffering. She felt desperate. It would have been quite the trek back alone through a desert to get back home in Egypt for her. The desert of Shore was where he, he found her. On the road to Shore is where the angel found her. God sees us when our, our wanderings, our attempts to run away from things that are hard. Life was hard for her, and she had played a role in that. She mistreated and despised her, her mistress, her, or her mistress, and that was wrong, but then she was mistreated, and she felt desperate. God pursued her. God uses our desert experience, friends, to reveal himself to us and to fortify us right in the middle of that, and he did this with Moses. If you think about Moses' story, we talked about him when we were going through Voyage yesterday, too, but Moses had major desert experience and the Lord came to him on that backside of the desert more than once, but certainly with the burning bush. Moses, in the midst of probably a dark time in his life, to, to feel anonymous on the backside of the desert, the Lord encounters him. And God has a way of doing that. God has a way of chasing us down because he loves us so much. So when we're in those dark times, the desert experiences where everything feels dry, we're looking for water. Hagar stopped at the spring, probably wondering, where will water be after this? And unsure, maybe needing, of course, needing refreshment, probably desperate. And there you have Moses out herding sheep, and the Lord encounters him. And even in the most beautiful of examples of a desert experience, we see Jesus. Jesus, who was actually led into the desert for a time of fasting. And fasting's hard. And I know that you have, as a church, signed up for fasting and prayer. And God honors that. I mean, that's a, that's a sacrifice. That's difficult. It's not the natural human thing to do. And God the Father led his son to the desert, really to suffer, to fast and pray, but to draw what he needed for what his life of ministry would require. But he's in that desert experience. And God the Father sent his angels to minister to him. The Holy Spirit 
God the Father and Jesus all together, really, in that desert experience. The desert can be a powerful teacher. And we see it throughout the Word of God in the Old Testament and the New with Jesus Christ. The desert is a training ground. The desert is a place where we're, we learn something we can't learn in the place of plenty. It can be a tool for transformation, would you agree? A catalyst for an assignment, which is what we saw with Moses for sure. God called him, and he was reluctant on the backside of his desert. He didn't want to lead, and God continued, thankfully, to work on him. Have you ever had that in your own life? Many times I've felt a reluctant yes to an assignment, and I've needed God to be persistent and loving. God, no less, had an assignment for Hagar. Otherwise, if she wasn't important, if Ishmael didn't matter to the Lord, and if God didn't care about Hagar, he would never have bothered. He could have just gently let her go back to her people. Why didn't he? He had purpose. He had a passionate love for her and for her child and the people that would come forth from her, from her own being. I grew up in the Arizona desert. Have anybody been to Phoenix or Yuma or any other Arizona desert? It is severe, severe, and we respect the desert. We know better than to take it lightly, to go tromping around out in the desert in the heat and, um, and not take it seriously, not be prepared. But many people come to the desert of Arizona and don't know really how to respect it and how to prepare. It is a brutal, brutal desert. And we have people right in the middle of Phoenix. There are beautiful mountain ranges in different areas of the metropolitan Phoenix area, and they're, and they're hiked daily. They're, they're beautiful. It's kind of amazing. You have this big city with skyscrapers, and then you have a mountain range, and there are trails that go up, and people love to hike those. But people will come from all over the world and all over the nation, and they'll, I want to hike Camelback Mountain. And they die. Every year we have people die out of just exposure. It's only, I think, a mile and a half up. It's not a long hike. The people, the brutal sun, they'll hike in the, in the summer, and that desert can absolutely strip them of any form of hydration and, and sense, and they get delirious or they fall, and it's just horrible. I was reading, actually, it's interesting because it's so familiar to me, and I was reading the Reader's Digest on my flight here, and there was a little article in there about a gentleman named Scott Cullimore who, due to a death that he heard about on Camelback Mountain two years ago, from a, a visitor, um, he just couldn't stand it anymore, and he wanted to make a difference. So every day, even though he owns a company, he has a carpet cleaning company, he finds a way to hike Camelback and pack water, and it daily stops and asks if everyone's okay and gives them water. Just that, they call him the water angel, <laughs> the water angel, but someone who came with refreshing in someone's desert experience, maybe at a time when they they needed it most, and that's certainly what we see with Hagar. Desperate desert situation, heartbroken and alone, unsure of what to do, but God. God sees us, friend, in our desert places. God sees us when it's not always of our own doing. Sometimes our desert experiences are, but other times it's just a part of this journey, and he will never 
never leave you alone in that desert place. You may feel so dry and thirsty that you think you're not going to make it. You may feel desperate with the danger that you feel surrounds you, and you don't even see where you're going. But he's with you, and he has a way of showing up, especially to those who cry out to him. But he has a way of showing up to bring that living water, as only he can do. And he did that in more ways than one for Hagar. Are you in a desert right now? Does it feel dry? Does it feel like the sun and the elements are beating down on your, your, your spirit and you just wonder where you're headed? God sees you. God sees you no less than he saw Hagar. He sees you in the middle of your desert experience, and he promises you the living water that you need to sustain you, not just to barely make it through and out, but to thrive, to thrive, to understand what this season is for and to equip you to walk through it in might and power. He's right beside you. Secondly, God sees and uses my defining moments. In verse 8, he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? First thing he did was he called her by name. He said her name. She had not introduced herself. He encountered her, interrupted her journey, and said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, caught her attention. She may have even been a little afraid of danger from this stranger before she realized who this was. But Hagar, slave of Sarai, no matter the billions of people in this world, God knows our name. And for some reason, that's extremely comforting. First of all, because there are so many other people. And I don't know about you, but my name, I get called the wrong name all the time. Kay is short, and it gets turned into Carrie, Karen, Kelly, all kinds of K names. People miss my name a lot, but God never does. God never does. He knows your name. He knows just like he had the details of Hagar's name, I mean, of her life. He knows the details of your inner works of your heart, what you struggle with, what you absolutely delight in, things maybe you've never told anyone else the Lord knows. And when he says your name, it means a whole lot more than just like when I say it because you have your name badge on and you're helping me out that I can see it visually. God knows. It says in the word of God that he has our names written on the palm of his hand. And I know one way it's written there is through the nail-scarred hand of our Jesus for you. Hagar was named by the angel of the Lord, called out by name, encountered in her desert place, and he'll do no less for you and me. Call your name in the dark when you need him. Call your name out when maybe you feel completely anonymous and lost. He called her by name. God knows our name. And God did something interesting here. The angel of the Lord asked her questions. (laughs) He asked her questions. It's interesting to think about Hagar. Where have you come from and where are you going? The desert has a way of stripping us of pretense and pride. The elements are so harsh, and presumption has to kind of leave and, and pride. And, and um, in a word, the desert exposes us and then humbles us. And certainly, I believe that was Hagar's experience. This journey had just stripped her of everything. And here, the angel of the Lord shows up and says her name and asks her these two questions. He interrupts her. 
she only answers his first question. She says in verse 8, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. God pursued her, interrupted her, and asked her questions as she was fleeing from Egypt. Now, when God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer, right? (laughs) He always knows the answer. So when God asks questions in Scripture, my interest is piqued, and I pay attention. It wasn't because he didn't know the answer. He called her by name, and then he mentioned that she was the slave of Sarai. Because God knew exactly where she had come from, and he knew where she was headed. I'm not even sure she knew where she was headed. Scripture doesn't say she was definitely heading to Egypt. She was just running away. Likely that was a a natural direction for her to go. But he asked her these questions for her benefit. He asks us questions when we need clarity. We need to clarify our position, the position of our heart. We need clarity about really where we have come from. We need to look at that. We need, we need focus and perspective. God asks questions to help reveal our motives to ourselves as well and our destination. He asks her, identify where you're coming from and where you're headed. And all she can give him is where she's come from. She doesn't have enough in her to even know, I think, to answer the other. Remember in Mark chapter 10 when blind Bartimaeus was crying out to Jesus. That story, when you think of the mob and the the people following and everybody clamoring after Jesus and blind Bartimaeus is crying out to him. And Jesus stops. In Mark 10, chapter 10, verse 51, Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? (laughs) And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. But Jesus asked him a question that seems so obvious. Why would Jesus do that? Everything Jesus did was with purpose and perfect vision, right? Maybe Bartimaeus, who who knows what he might have said. But because Jesus asked asked him, he didn't just cry out in desperation. He named what his greatest heart desire was to see. And Jesus said, you've got it. He could have just reached out and said, be healed, which I'm sure he did many times. And in Acts 9 with Saul, verse 1, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Friends, it is a gift when God interrupts our journey, the wrong journey, knocks us off our horse if necessary, and asks us just the right heart-wrenching, perspective-giving question. In Saul's case, why are you persecuting me? Did Saul think before that question came from Jesus that he was persecuting anyone, God, and alone, himself? No, he thought he was on a a mission for God. Jesus, his question came to verify, really, the true path that, that Saul was on to clarify. 
It's a gift when he stops us headed down for the wrong life, even just the wrong direction as a believer. And when he asks us questions, it is a gift to us to illuminate our hearts, clarify our circumstances, and give us directions. There was a time, there have been a couple times in my life as an adult when I was praying and just giving my needs to the Lord, and God interrupted me, and he said, Kay, what is it you want me to do for you? I, I had to stop in my tracks because I've been asking him for my whole list of prayer needs. I heard it again in my spirit, Kay, what is it you want me to do for you? And I was grabbed that moment to stop and not answer lightly, and I said, Lord, give me, give me some time to think through that. I don't want to answer you lightly. And it was such a time of illuminating in my heart, really, what does matter? Do you want to just come and I'm here for you and just pour your needs out to me, yes, but what is it you really, really want me to do for you? So I got serious and I made a list and I said, Lord, if you never did anything else, never answered any other prayer requests, these are what I really, really need. And of course, they all involve my loved ones. They involved eternal matters, not physical needs or financial needs, even though those all matter to God. But he stopped me and asked me that question. Is God asking you any questions today? Can you hear him asking you something in your spirit right now, perhaps? A question that's meant just for you, exactly where you are in your journey. Whether you're in a desert or not, as Saul was not in a desert experience, but in a powerful season in his life, yet it was spiritually bankrupt. And certainly a desert, though he did not know it. What might God be saying to you in this season, friend? What might he want to illuminate to give you clarity, maybe to search your soul or to answer an assignment, a call like he did with Moses? What might he need to share with you to help you in this season and for what's up ahead in the road? The third and last thing that I want to take us to is that God sees through my circumstances and into my God-given destiny. He, I can see a, a brick wall when I'm trying to get past things that are obstacles in my life, and I feel overwhelmed. God never sees a wall. He sees right through the circumstances that stand in my way and onto the other side of my God-given destiny. It is never a problem for him. There is never an obstacle bigger than God, even though it may feel that way to me. God sees through it. And in Genesis 16, verses 10 and 11, the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. And the angel of the Lord also told her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. He first prophesied to her. He told her she was going to bear a son. This was before the days of ultrasound blood tests and all kinds of things. Now it's so early we can find out if we're going to have a boy or a girl. There was nothing in that day to tell a woman what she would bear until the baby was born. And he prophesied to her, you will have a son. And then he instructed her, told her to name him Ishmael, which means the Lord will hear. Every time she called Ishmael's name, she would be reminded of that time in the desert when the Lord saw her. He saw her. She wasn't invisible to him. She wasn't a less than everybody else servant slave girl. She mattered, and he saw her, 
And he spoke to her and he heard her cry. Ishmael means the Lord will hear. And then he also instructed her what to do, where to turn. He said, go back. Go back to your mistress and submit to her authority. There is no such thing, people of God, as an insignificant part of our, of our family, our church family. There is no such thing as an insignificant season. Not in the eyes of God. Hagar mattered. You and I matter. Everyone else, the people we see, don't you want to have the eyes of God when we're walking through our communities or we're, we're in Walmart or maybe we're traveling and we literally start to see people? I can be so laser-focused, miss people around me. God wants us to see others the way he sees them with love and concern. God will instruct us for what we need to do to follow his will. My husband, Jim, um, had a, a beautiful experience in the 80s. We were young, married with, with little ones, and um, we were in this music group. Jim's family is all musical, and, and um, so churches would have us go and sing, and, and we were at one of these, and it wasn't a church we knew, and we, there were very few people we knew there. And it was a prophetic kind of conference in the 80s, and and um, a particular leader pointed Jim out of a crowd of about 500, and he, you young man, and you know, everyone's looking because he's from the stage, and he's you in the plaid shirt, and Jim points, he said, yes, you. Jim began to prophesy to him. Jim was a pipe fitter welder at the time. He was a tradesman, and he said, prayers have been stacked this high for you in heaven, and God has called you into the ministry. I still weep with the beauty of it all these years later, and he said, he's been digging out dirt and putting in concrete and steel, and Jim had been working concrete jobs, and working on steel in a, as a welder, it was such the language of God for Jim's heart. And he said, when, you, when I called you and when you took the hook, it, it didn't go in your lip that it would tear loose. It didn't go in your jaw that it would break you. But you took it down into your belly that it would fulfill you. I have called you into full-time ministry. Beautiful time. Everyone was stunned that we were with. They were all his family members were like, looking at him like, this guy's off or what? And Jim had shared with me when I was 12, okay, I heard the call of God, and I've kind of been running from it. And he was serving God. <laughs> but, you know, God just said to him, he got home, and he said, I, I need to act on this. I, I know that was so pinpoint accurate. And God just told him, get back on the piano. He hated playing the piano. His mom had given him lessons, and he hated it. And get back on the keyboard and get credentialed. And so we watched from that season on a period of years of working in worship ministry first and then stepping into volunteer youth pastoring and then on staff. And God just took us until we were church planters and lead pastors of our church for almost 18 years. God saw Jim. He was in a desert. He was crying out to God, really unsure what to do. And God just met him in this powerful way. And what that did was it offered Jim a new dimension of God. Just like Hagar had a new dimension of the, of the power of God and his love for her when she named him in verse 13, you are the God who sees me, for I have now seen the one who sees me. She experienced a dimension unlike anything she had before and Jim experienced that in his season. And you and I are called to experience him in the midst of our desert. And then it takes obedience. In the, in the desert, 
to walk into our destiny through those circumstances right onto the other side into our destiny, does it not? And Jim, Jim did that. And from that time of prophecy, God began to speak to him because he had his same job for a number of years. And he worked at night maintenance um, as a welder. And they said, after you get your checklist done, whatever you do, just stay awake. We don't care what you do. He began, because of that stirring account in the desert, began to read his Bible and pray. No one was with him. He could walk the halls. He could pray out loud. And he began to read his Bible cover to cover. A whole different level of knowing God and hearing him. It led to his going into ministry. It led to him being a powerful worship leader, a church planner. And when we moved, Jim was an executive presbyter in our district. And I don't say that to talk about achievements. It was assignment. He had that desert time, and the angel of the Lord, the Lord himself met him right in the middle of his circumstances. God saw through what Jim felt like was a a wall, no way out, didn't know what to do. God saw clear through from those prayers stacked this high for him in heaven, from his AG grandparents, his godly parents who had prayed for him all his life. Friend, God sees us. God sees us, and not just in a small way, and not just in a, in a minimal way. You know, coming from a family of five girls, my poor mom, she'd start with one name, trying to get to the right one, and it would list, she'd list all four girls, maybe the dog, before she'd get one of our names right. We understand that it's hard to keep the name straight when life's busy. That's never the case for God. He sees you. He sees you right where you are. And I'd love to just pray for you and then invite Pastor Tim to come up and close this however way he wants, but would you stand with me? And could I just pray for this word, for it to be what God wants it to be in your life, for either the moment you're in right now or perhaps down the road when you encounter a desert experience or something that knocks you off your course and you need this remembrance of Hagar, this place in Genesis 16 to remind you, God, you do see me. I just want to pray that God would seal that in our hearts today. If you'd you'd bow your hearts with me. Father God, your word, Lord, it never comes forth void. It, Lord, it's living. It's bread for our souls, Lord. It's, it's sustenance, God, when we are spiritually hungry and thirsty for you, oh Lord. God, I pray that today, Lord, no matter what the enemy would try to do, no matter what each person here might be going through, no matter what their life may seem like right now, God, that they would hear they would see, they would know from you exactly what is needed in this day and hour. God, encounter them. And Lord, some may need to be knocked off their horse in the most loving way because, Lord, they're barreling down the wrong direction. God, do it in the name of Jesus. Rescue. Stop us short of the wrong path, I pray. Even those with good intentions, Lord, we don't want to miss the journey you have for us. God, I pray for this church. And God, I pray a blessing over Glad Tidings Church. From the top, Lord, from the pastors and their family on down, Lord, through everyone who calls this their church home, Lord, let revival flood this place. Let absolute impact of this community, this whole nation, their state, Lord, come from from these walls, the people, Lord, this family of God. Make them to see and know an effectiveness and an outpouring of your Holy Spirit like they've never experienced before. God, we thank you for their faithfulness, Lord. Speak to us, Lord. May we always know that you see us. 
Lord, we thank you. Seal this word in our hearts in Jesus' sweet name. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Aren't you thankful for God's word this morning? Well, before we dismiss, I want to do two things. One thing is we're going to pray over Kay Burnett this morning. But before we do that, Irene and I have been at Phoenix. In Phoenix, one time we went to uh, Tommy Barnett's School of Ministry there. And y'all probably have heard me tell this story before, but I'm going to share just a piece of it with you once more because it's so applicable to what Kay was saying this morning. We went there, and I was, I remember uh, I was on the back row. He had had, he had a prayer time for pastors, and I was on the back row pouring out my heart to God. And I'm sorry if I get emotional because I still remember it. But I was pouring out my heart to God because I, we were going through some stuff, and I was just praying, God, you see my heart. You see my heart. You know, God, what I desire. You see the desires of my heart. And I remember Pastor Tommy stopping. He said, the Lord says to somebody, somebody's here this morning, the Lord says, I see your heart. And I, I just, boom. That was a moment when I thought, okay, God sees my heart. He sees you this morning. Amen. And I just, I sense, I feel like this morning that there's maybe there's somebody that you've been walking in a desert place. All right? So this applies to you this morning. Maybe you're in a desert place this morning, and maybe you came in this morning and you were just you were asking yourself that question. God, do you even do you even see? Do you even know what I'm going through? Do you even care what I'm going through? And I'm telling you this morning, God sees your heart. God sees where you're at. Don't ever doubt it. Believe it know that God sees you this morning. Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or would like more information about following Jesus Christ, please contact us at gladtidings.church. If you live near Dunn, North Carolina, please consider visiting our church on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can also download our church app in the iTunes or Google Play app store and receive updates and notifications. You may use the app to make a financial gift to help support our ministry. God bless you.